Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, this is my wife, Mary Ann, and 31 years ago, um, we had the privilege of uh, coming here to Cleveland, Ohio, to be interviewed to be the founding pastor and founding pastor's wife of this church, uh, Cuyahoga Valley Church. And uh, so uh, I thought you guys might want to, you know, see the girl that kind of helped make all this happen. Uh, so anyway, thanks for being up here with me. Uh, I told this story by myself this morning. And so uh, since she's going to be here tonight, I said, hey, you need to come and help me tell this story tonight. So I was a little bit more excited about this opportunity than you were. Why weren't you excited about this opportunity as much as me? About moving here? Yeah. Are we on? Yeah. Um, I, at the time, um, my father was in intensive care in the hospital. He was very sick. And uh, my sister was saying, please don't mention moving to Cleveland. Don't say anything to Daddy about moving. It'll just upset him. He'll have a heart attack. You know, just don't mention it. I'm the baby in the family. I just, it was just a hard time to be talking about moving. So, and of course, I'm very close to my family. My sister and I had always talked about living on the same, you know, street or neighborhood and raising our children together. We had always talked about that. And um, so when this opportunity came, Rick was very excited. I was willing. I think I was trying to be really honest with the Lord. I was willing to do it, but I just wasn't real excited yet. So she was interested in moving like 230 miles <laughs> south from Memphis to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which was her hometown rather than 730 miles north to uh, Cleveland, Ohio. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, so anyway, we came here for the interview, and things went pretty well. And, uh, but the mother church, the sponsoring church, the sending church for this church happened to be in Dayton, Ohio. So we had to get on a plane here in Cleveland after the interview and fly to Dayton, Ohio to meet with the missions committee of that particular church. Mm -hmm. So we go to Cleveland Hopkins, yes, we go out yes. on the tarmac, and what did you see? I said, where's our plane? Where's our airplane? Okay, first of all, I was expecting our second child. I'm a little claustrophobic anyway on small airplanes. I'm just kind of a claustrophobic person. So being, also being pregnant made me more claustrophobic. And then when I saw this little tiny, I said, where's our plane? They said, there it is right there. And I went, no, 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 that's not our plane. That's a Fisher-Price toy. That couldn't be our plane. <laughs> and so it was so small, it was maybe like 15 people could, could be on there. So people were already on the plane. And um, so I'm going, Rick, I just don't think I can do it. I can't, I can't get on that plane. It's just too small. And, and so so people, I'm doing everything I can to yeah. try to talk her onto the plane. The people they're are people. looking at me out the window. You know, they're already <laughs> on the plane. They're looking at me like, come on, lady, what are you doing? You're holding up everything. So the, finally the pilot had to get out of his seat and come down to where I was standing. And he was going, is there a problem? I said, yeah, there's a problem. I can't get on that plane. I don't think I can do it. And so he goes, well, why don't you go up the little ladder and look around, you know, just get comfortable with it. So it was kind of like a rope ladder. You know, they throw it out there for you to climb up and you kind of throw your suitcase over in this little sling that they had. It was very small. So um, I went up and looked around, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know. So he moved this little 10-year-old child who was traveling alone, moved him to the back. And I'm like, don't move him. Don't do that. He goes, no, the front row has more leg room. This will give you more space. You'll feel, you know, like you have more room. But I was right behind the curtain of the cockpit, right behind the pilot. Um, so they didn't close the curtain all the way. I could see everything, all the controls, all the red lights and everything flashing. So, so we take off and we're in the air. Rick takes Dramamine, so he just was asleep. He was, in, he was in the back of the plane totally asleep. He had no idea what was going on with me on the front row of this plane. Um, well, we hit some turbulence. 
huge storm. I mean, tremendous storm. This little plane's just being thrown around like, you know, everything. And I'm seeing all these red lights flashing. I'm seeing things, you know, hit the windshield of the plane. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like, we're going down. We're going down. So I started praying. The people in the airplane started holding hands across the aisle. You know, we were all holding hands, like total strangers. We're praying, we're holding hands. And we really thought this was, you know, we really thought we weren't going to make it. So um, as I was praying, I felt like in my heart, the Lord was saying to me, you know, Marianne, you really need to surrender this whole Cleveland thing to me. So I was praying and I, and I said to myself, who on this plane is not right with God? I felt like Jonah. I just felt like I was really Jonah. It was her. It was her. <laughs> I said, Lord, who on this plane is not right with God? And it was me. So that's when I really surrendered. I said, Lord, if you will just please help us, you know, safely land the plane, get on the ground so I can see my child. Alan was five years old, our first son. He was in Alabama with my sister, with Aunt Kay. I said, if I could just see Alan again, if I could have this baby that I'm carrying, if we could just, you know, please just help us, you know. Well, what about me? Did you want me yeah, to be Yeah, I, I thought, oh, you know, Alan would have... Just checking. Yeah, Alan would have had no parents, you know, and wouldn't have had his baby brother. So I'm just saying, please just, you know, hold our family together and get us through this storm. And... um. So, yeah, I, that was my prayer. So I surrendered. That was my moment on the airplane, just to surrender. Okay, Lord, I'm willing to go to Cleveland. I will go if, if, you know, I will go. if that's what you want us to do. If that's your will for us, I'm willing to do it. So, so if you'll get was, us on the ground safely, yeah, yeah. we'll so, go to Cleveland. So the interview went well. We went to the interview after we landed, and I was so excited about landing. I was so excited and so happy. Like this burden had been lifted, and I had you know, already told the Lord I'm willing to do this. So there was a lot of joy in that interview. I was really <laughs> I was having a good time answering the questions. So 31 years later, yes. are you glad? So glad. So glad. Yeah. yeah the Lord knew. The Lord knew. He had a plan, and I'm so glad. Well, so, thank yeah. you for sharing the story. You did it much better than me. So didn't you do a good job? <laughs> uh, you know, Pastor Chad said last week, he said this, um, if you try to accomplish your will rather than following God's will, you might get happiness, but you'll never have joy. So um, if we had moved 230 miles south to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, maybe Marianne gets happiness because she's close to her family, but maybe she never gets the joy that God wanted to give us because we've been here uh, to do this work for Christ. So um, I'm glad that she had that moment. See, she was like Jonah. Jonah had some turbulence. We're studying the book of Jonah together as a group as we go through this series on launch. Jonah experienced some turbulence on the sea, not in the air, because certainly he was not right with God. And we're going to dive into that story today. Um, maybe there's some turbulence in your life right now. Maybe you're struggling to say yes to some call that God has on your life right now. Well, if you're like that, then you're in good company with Marianne. <laughs> you're in good company with Jonah. And so let's dive in today. So look at Jonah chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 4 tonight. Jonah. In the book of Jonah, we see God's relentless mission to reach some people that are far from God. We see the story of a guy that ran away from God's call, and then we see what God did about that. Jonah was a member of a pretty exclusive club, he thought. He was a Jewish uh, leader. He was called by God to be a prophet. And God said to him, I want you to uh, go to Nineveh, 
which was a very violent, wicked city that was about 550 miles uh, north and, and east of Israel. And I want you to go there and I want you to tell them about a God that loves them. And Jonah goes, I don't want those guys in my club because these are wicked evil, violent people. In fact, we learned last week from Chad, they are so violent, they would cut the heads off of their enemies and pile the skulls together in a pyramid just to let everybody know, don't mess with us. And so Jonah goes, I'm not going that direction. Instead, I'm going to go down to Joppa, the seacoast, and I'm going to catch a ship, and I'm going to go to Spain, to Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. So that's what's happening with Jonah. So look at verse 4, the, what is the Lord going to do with this? Uh, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And if Jonah is like most of us, he's probably thinking, hey look, um, I know that I disobeyed God, and I might be sinning, but it's not really hurting anybody else. I've got a problem, but it's not hurting anybody else. But listen, everybody around Jonah is suffering here, not because of their sin, but because of his sin. So there are repercussions for everybody around you when you leave the will of God. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting other people, and you're certainly hurting the heart of the Savior who died on the cross for you. Verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship, and he had laid down and was fast asleep. So these guys have all kinds of gods, all kinds of goddesses that they're going to cry out to. And they tried them all, but they're not working. And somebody said, hey, there's a passenger down in the hold of the ship. Why don't we go down to, to see what's up with him? I think he's asleep. Maybe wake him up. Maybe his God is going to work. So the captain came, verse 6, and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And I just want to say to you, if you're a follower of Christ, then God is not going to let you stay asleep. Because the captain goes down to the hold and he says, How can you be asleep if if the gods get angry, you're supposed to get up and you're supposed to pray to the gods to get us out of the storm. So that's what happens. But the storm doesn't let up, verse 7. And they said to one another, Well, come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. See, at first, they wake him up, and they say, Join us in the prayer. They don't know he's the cause. They don't know who's not right with God on this ship, and it's Jonah. So they cast lots. And casting lots is kind of like rolling the dice, okay? So it's like, let's roll the dice. Let's group up everybody, all right? Everybody's in a group. Everybody number off by group. All right, we roll the dice. Group number seven. Oh, you guys, come over here. You guys number off. Let's roll the dice again. Boom. Who's number nine? Oh, it's Jonah. It's that guy that was down in the hole asleep. Jonah, explain yourself what's happening here. Verse 8, they tell him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? In other words, what's going on, Jonah? 
the lot fell on you. You're the cause of the storm. Why is all this happening to us? Explain yourself, please. Verse 9, and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. I don't think enough, right? But I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why? What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So the idea here is maybe he's thinking, well, if they throw me overboard, the Lord might rescue me. Or he might be thinking, throw me overboard and I'll perish. If I perish, I perish. You know, maybe I deserve to die. Maybe I'm, it's all over with for me. But instinctively, he knew this. If I sacrifice myself, at least these sailors and these passengers on board this ship will be safe. Verse 13. Uh, the men don't want to throw him overboard. <laughs> they go, they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, for Jonah's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So these guys are starting to understand who God is and what God does. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its ragings. So they're going, wow, this guy's God is the real God. Look at what happens in verse 16. I love this. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Now, it's not explicitly clear here that not only were their physical lives saved, but maybe also their spiritual lives were saved. Because these guys sacrifice to the Lord. These guys fear the Lord. These guys are like worshiping the Lord now. We know who the true God is. We pray to our little gods and the sea didn't get calm. We deal with Jonah and the Lord, his Lord, and everything changes. Now I want you to understand some things about the storms. You might be in a storm right now. I want you to see something about this storm for Jonah. God didn't send the storm to pay Jonah back. God sent the storm to bring Jonah back to himself. And if you're in a storm right now, you got to realize that. That maybe God's using that storm to bring you back to himself. The point of the storm is restoration, not retribution. And that's good for you to know when you're in a storm yourself. Jonah had been called by God to reach an unreached people group. He instead ran. He went to sleep. He tried to hide. Initially, he didn't recognize that the danger that everybody was experiencing around him was because of him, but finally he accepted that responsibility, and he knew if I sacrifice myself, then the men on this ship will be safe. I want you to see three big ideas here today. When God calls first, I want you to see this. I can't run. I cannot run. When God calls, I can't run. This is important for us because there's a bit of Jonah inside each one of us, right? We all have a rebellious heart that struggles with the will of God. So let's just ask a question. What is the command that you hear from God that's actually the most difficult for you to obey? What instructions does God give that kind of panic you, that kind of freak you out? And what prompts you to say, anything, Lord, anything but that? Anything but that. See, because most of us have... A Nineveh. 
That's a place where God wants us to go. That's a people that God wants us to reach. That's something that God wants us to do. And then we all have a Tarshish. That, that, that's the place we want to run to escape going from Nineveh. So I want to go there. I want to hide there. I want to run there. Watch your Nineveh and watch your Tarshish. And when God calls you to go to Nineveh and to do a specific thing for him, you got to realize he's not some just buddy in the sky that you can use for your own selfish purposes. He is an omnipotent, sovereign, holy, righteous, just, creator, maker of everything, who is, yes, loving, but he has placed us on this planet to do his will, to accomplish his purposes. And his will is not some nice little extra that you can either take or leave. His will is like a non-negotiable. And if you try to run from his will and you are a child of God, know this, you'll be stopped. You'll be stopped. Because you know what God loves to do? He loves to use reluctant people. He did it with Jonah. He even did that with Marianne. And he could do that with you. When God calls first, I can't run. Second, I can't sleep. When he calls, I can't sleep. Now, Jonah went to sleep for a while, but God didn't let him stay asleep, right? And some of us, we're not realizing what is happening around us spiritually. We're kind of like trying to sleep through it. We're like oblivious to it. So here in this story, you got a man of God, you got the prophet of God, who's got a message from God that that other people need to hear, and he's asleep in the boat, oblivious to the opportunity. So these pagan sailors, they're experiencing these storms. That, that actually led them to have a theological conversation. Who, who can pray to this God? Who can pray to that God? They're, they're, they're like open to spiritual things. They're crying out to fake gods that can't deliver. And then finally they wake up Jonah, which really means that God woke up Jonah. Now, we are all surrounded by people that are in the midst of storms. And we're surrounded by people who are asking all kinds of theological questions. They're trying to find all kinds of answers. They're trying to figure out stuff that's going to work to get them out of the storm. And we know the one who can help them. And it's Jesus. And he's just waiting on us to, to kind of wake up. What are some ways that we kind of go to sleep today? Some of us just try to dull the pain in our own lives through alcohol, through drugs, through sex, through partying, through entertainment, surfing the web. Uh, some of us were just busy with career, busy with hobbies. Uh, some of us think if I buy this, if I buy that, it's going to kind of dull the pain and it'll distract me from all kinds of things. We do all kinds of things that just lull us to sleep spiritually and God says, wake up. He says, get up. So when God calls first, I can't run. Second, I can't sleep. Third, I can't hide. I can't hide. See, Jonah actually tries to hide. They wake him up. He knows I'm the one on the boat that's not right with God. But he doesn't let everybody else know 
That's why they had to cast lots, throw the dice to figure out who's the problem here. So he's on board with, who knows, 100 people, 150 people, whatever. And he's just kind of hiding, blending in with the crowd. But God made sure that he was exposed. You can't hide. You can't hide. See, God has his own way of bringing to light hidden sins, hidden rebellion. God has his own way of bringing to light hidden sinners because he wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. So Jonah finally realizes, I can't run, I can't hide, can't sleep. So you know what I might as well do? I might as well sacrifice myself so others can be safe. And that's the bottom line for all of us. If I'm a true child of God, I can't hide from God's will. I can't sleep. He won't let me. And I can't hide. So I might as well just get with the program, sacrifice myself so others can be safe. I want to speak just a few minutes to those in the room that deep down inside you're thinking this. You know what, Rick? <laughs> I have been running. And I have been sleeping. And I have been hiding. And you know what? Frankly, I think I'm getting away with it. God hasn't really disciplined me for that. And I know that God is a forgiving God. I think God must be kind of maybe okay with my running, sleeping, and hiding. I know I'm okay with it. And if that's the way you're thinking, then I'm deeply concerned for you. I'm concerned because, of, as Chad said last week, you might have happiness, but you'll never know joy. I'm concerned for you because you might have religion, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. I'm concerned because you might have assurance of your salvation. I'm going to heaven when I die, but when you get there, you might hear, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, I never knew you. See, if you can run and sleep and hide and never receive discipline from God for it, then based on what I know about God and His Word and what He says in Hebrews 12, for example, you're likely not a child of God at all, no matter how religious or how moral you might be. Because the Bible says some people hold to the form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. The message to you today is come to Jesus truly. Because runners and, and sleepers and hiders will miss out on the adventure of the mission. They miss out on the joy they can have in Jesus. And they may miss out on heaven in the end. You need Jesus Christ. And see this reluctant prophet, his name, Jonah, he actually points us to Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that Jonah is a picture of Jesus. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, Jesus said, so will the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his burial and then his resurrection. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. We'll learn about that in chapter 3 of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's, what's he talking about? What's greater than Jonah? He is. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Jonah. 
And so he's actually pointing to himself as the fulfillment of Jonah's life. See, Jesus saw the eternal danger that others faced. You're in a storm. You're in a turbulence. You're all about to drown. And I will sacrifice myself. I will hang on a cross and die and be buried in a tomb for three days in order that you might be safe. And then he rose from the dead. And just as Jonah went and preached after he was rescued, Jesus is here tonight, believe it or not, preaching. He's preaching through the power of his spirit through this pitiful messenger, me. He is here and he's preaching. And you know what he's saying to everybody here? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, could it be that God brought us together today because he knows you've been running? Running from something he's told you to do? Running from the faith? Running from a real relationship with Christ? Running from letting Jesus be the actual Lord of your life? And consider the cost of running. I mean, it cost Jonah money. He paid for a ticket to go 2,500 miles, and he didn't make it all the way, right? He lost that money. Lost it cost him his sleep. It cost him his prayer line to God. It cost him his testimony with the people that he was with. It cost him the welfare of people close to him. When you're running from God, you know what happens? You are destabilizing, debilitating, destructive force in everybody's life around you. People are being hurt by your rebellion against God. Not to mention how much you're hurting yourself and how much you will hurt yourself in the future. But you've got this loving father who says, I'm pursuing you. I want you. It's time to stop running. It's time to turn and face your father. Let him have you. Let him hold you. You know, there's a prayer on the screen here that we put together for today. Lord Jesus, you are greater, much greater than Jonah. You sacrificed yourself on the cross so I could be safe eternally. God raised you from the dead. Today, I hear you calling me to repent and believe in you. And by your grace, I will stop my running, sleeping, and hiding. I hear your voice, and I will seek to follow your call for the rest of my life. There's somebody in this room, you've never prayed a prayer like that and really meant it, and today's your day. So just come to Christ today. Say the prayer. And if you do, there's a little place you could check on your commitment card, your attendance card, your care card today. Let us know. Just check the box. I pray to receive Christ today. Now, others of us in this room... We've sacrificed before. We've prayed a prayer like that before. We've followed the example of Christ. Maybe we've sacrificed so others could be safe before. But lately we've grown lax. Lately we may not be fully running away, but we're kind of out for a stroll. We might not be fully asleep, but we're dozing. We may not be totally hiding ourselves, but we're dodging responsibility We need to hear this. How can we not sacrifice ourselves for the one who sacrificed everything for us? How can we not sacrifice so that our neighbors, the nations, and the next generations could be safe? See, that's what Unleashed is all about. You know, we mentioned earlier that we've got some tools for you to use during this series. One, make sure you stop out in the foyer and pick up a booklet for your family if you don't have it. This will tell you kind of everything you need to know about Unleashed, and then a little book called The Treasure Principle. Awesome, amazing book that will help you uh, grow in your ability to be a good steward of what God's given to you. 
So take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, Chad already mentioned last week about the sacrifice that many of our leaders have already made for Unleash. Uh, We are seeking to raise $2 million over and above our regular giving. Almost $1 million of that has already been given by our leaders. As Chad said last week, leaders go first. So my wife, uh, Marianne, and I sat together in an advanced commitment meeting uh, a few Saturday nights ago down in our lower level. Uh, I have to say, can I be honest with you, I had mixed emotions about that meeting. I remember back to the time when I was lead pastor here at CBC, when three times before we went through an initiative like this, where we're asking people to keep giving your regular tithes and offerings to the church, but we want you to dig deeper and give over and above for a season of time. So we had these uh, campaigns that we did, these initiatives, and one of them we called um, Together We Build. And uh, so I've got something from that particular initiative. The, the artwork was, was, was really lame, you know, when we did that. But we raised the money to buy the property that the building is on now. Then we had another initiative. It was called um, Building God's Family. The, the artwork got a little better, still kind of lame, in my opinion. But what we did is we raised the money to actually build the first phase of this building. We had these little plastic church bank things that we gave to people. Put your coins in there, bring it back, and all this kind of business. So we had a good time with that. Our third one was called Momentum, and I do kind of like the graphics on this one. It's actually pretty good. And what we did with that money is we raised money to add seats in the balcony and over here and uh, build the garage and add to the parking and a few other initiatives that we had. So we raised over a two-year period, about $3 million to do that. So now here we are doing uh, Unleashed, right? And so we're having this advanced commitment night, uh, very similar to what we've done before. And so Marion and I are downstairs at the advanced commitment time. Um, As I listened to Chad that night, I thought, how hard it is to actually lead an initiative like Unleashed. And I thought to myself, I'm glad it's him up there leading this and not me. That is really cool. Um, You go get him, Chad. I'll be praying for you, brother. (laughs) But then also had the thought, be honest, I kind of wish it was me and not him. Because the opportunity to challenge people, encourage people to join in this great uh, adventure that we're on is, is really a cool thing. So I had like both those things going on. I'm glad it's him, not me. I wish it was me, not him. It was all happening at the same time. The first two times um, we raised money here um, over and above our regular giving were over a three-year period. So that was like six years. And at the time, we were living in a 900-square-foot house in North Royalton. The house was built in 1913. And we were driving old, beat-up cars. I mean, they were so beat up that our oldest son, Alan, when we'd try to take him to a high school event, you know, he would actually slink down in the seat of the car, hoping that none of his friends would watch him get out of that beater. He was like embarrassed about it. Um, And so when we were being challenged again, I was thinking to myself, you know, I've already done this three times. I mean, why do I need to do this again? Right? 
Let somebody else do it. Let these new people sacrifice. <laughs> We've already done this before. First 20 years of our church's history, we gave over and above our tithe to efforts, efforts like Unleashed eight of those 20 years. So that's like 40% of the time we've been giving over and above. It's time for somebody else to do it. Haven't we sacrificed enough? And yet as we sat in the meeting and we heard the vision from Chad to reach neighbors, nations, and next generations, I also thought... It is a rare and a high honor to be a part of the ongoing mission and ministry of this great church. Um, I'd rather be in a church that wants to do more and be more for Christ and ask all of us to sacrifice to make that happen. I'd rather be in a church like that than a church that just wants to put it in cruise control and just glide on into glory land, right? Um, we want to go to heaven. And we want to take as many people with us as we possibly can. I've said that probably 500 times here. <laughs> Jesus said it this way. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And his mission is our mission. And if there are more lost people in Northeast Ohio or anywhere on this planet, then we got work to do, right? So, so our focus for this is threefold focus. One is neighbors. We want to raise money to open up a new campus to reach a brand new community for Christ. And that's a good thing, because not everybody's going to be willing to drive to this campus. So what if we launched a new campus somewhere that's more accessible to some of our people? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. It's a wise church that wants to reach more neighbors for Christ. And then the nations. We want to raise money to translate the Bible into the language of a, the solely people group in Indonesia. You know, I remember being with Chad on an island in Indonesia. Three million people on this island. Only a few dozen know Christ. Chad and I spent the night in a village in the center part of this island. And uh, we're on the porch of uh, this farmer. And we were told we were the first Anglo people to ever spend the night there. And we were the first people to ever tell the story of Jesus to these people. And it reminded me of what Paul writes in Romans 15. He goes, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so we want those people to understand. We want them to give them a Bible in their own language. So we're working with the Wycliffe Bible translators to help those people have a Bible in their heart language, in their own language. So our neighbors, the nations, and then the next generations. Here's what we want to do. We want to get rid of our debt, eliminate our debt so that we can have more money for more ministry to reach the next generations for Jesus. Psalm 78 verse 6 says this, The next generation might know the testimonies in the law, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children. So we want to pass the baton to that next generation so they can tell the next generation more and more about Christ. Neighbors, nations, next generations. I just love that. So Marion and I came to that meeting that Saturday night a few weeks ago, and we had in mind uh, a number that we were going to give. But the time to commit came closer, and I just kind of felt like it's not enough. So I kind of wrote down a higher number on the piece of paper, the commitment card, and I kind of showed it to Marianne. I looked at her, and she went like this. And so we both left that meeting, giving more than we anticipated, 
but feeling good about sacrificing to give more again. You know, just like some of the others of you in this room, it was our fourth time to make a commitment to give over and above our regular giving because we want to be a part of a significant cause to win more for Christ. Now, some of you, you haven't been here for any of those previous efforts, and you're glad that we didn't give you a little plastic bank to fill up with change and bring back, right? <laughs> you're glad you weren't part of that previous effort. Maybe you've only been here since Chad was like the lead pastor. Uh, this is your opportunity to merge into the lane of faithfulness of people that have gone on before you. You're invited to join in. And someday, you may be able to look back years from now at, at the unleashed effort and say, I'm glad I was able to make a contribution. I'm glad I was able to sacrifice. Again, I'm glad to be in a church that wants to do more and be more for Christ. We're not just people that talk about God. We actually want to do something for God. Maybe you're new. Maybe you've been unengaged with the Lord before. Maybe you've been unengaged with church for a while. Maybe God is calling you back to himself through this effort, through this unleashed mission. I'm glad I didn't miss this last 30 years. And I just want to say to you, you don't want to miss this next stretch in the history of our church. The next five years, I think, are going to be amazing. I was thinking about this and how, you know, rides at Cedar Point, they actually stop and they let new people get on. And the new people get on and they have the time of their life. They have a blast, hopefully, right? An adventure. This is kind of like a stop, this unleashed effort. We are inviting you to get on board. And here we go. And you don't want to miss this ride. It's going to be awesome. Five years ago, I passed the torch of uh, lead pastor to Chad. Uh, sometimes people ask me, um, so Rick, how are you enjoying your retirement? And um, I'm learning to be more moderate in my response to that question. Uh, I actually try not to embarrass people that ask me that anymore. Um, I actually hope that they don't see the smoke coming out of my ears now when they ask that question. And I usually say something like, well, Marianne doesn't think that I've slowed down very much. Um, I try not to launch into some kind of sermonette on how Christians can take retirement, but how they can never retire. You follow me? Take your retirement, but never retire. So say it with me. I will take my retirement, but never retire. Say it with me. I will take my retirement, but never retire. See, I said I wasn't going to get into a little sermonette, but I just did, right? I just did. Um, listen, we, you can never retire from sacrificing to build and extend the kingdom of Christ in this world. We cannot run. We cannot sleep. We cannot hide. And we cannot retire from sacrifice. You with me? We need to do more. We need to be more. We need to give over and above what we think we can give so that CBC, our church family, can reach more and do more for Christ. Because this Unleashed thing, it's all about reaching people. And we want you to see a story about Claire, someone that this church family has helped to reach for Christ. So let's watch this story about Claire. Hi, I'm Claire. And I would like to talk to you a little bit about my life before Christ entered it. For over 25 years, I've been 
felt like I was wandering in a desert looking for water, looking for something that would fill my heart and my soul. I had two kids, I had a job, everything in my life looked real good, but inside I felt empty and alone. And for a long time I used the wrong things to try to fill that need, whether it was men or food or alcohol, always searching that the next thing might fill my needs. As time went on, I just, things became more and more empty. I became depressed. I became more lonely. There was just nothing in my life that really helped. And then I went to church on that Easter Sunday two and a half years ago, and my life completely changed. Claire was teaching at that time, and I met her, I remember her waving across the street and saying, I'll talk to you more. I'll come and introduce myself when I retire. So when she did retire, I, we called each other and said, hey, okay, how about 9.30? Let's start going walking. We, en we enjoyed talking to each other. And after we solved the world's problems, we started sharing our ups and downs in, in both of our lives. I told her how I got invited to CBC and I asked her if she wanted to go. And at that time, uh, she kind of brushed it off and she said, well, I'll think about it. I didn't reluctantly or half-heartedly say no. I said, no, I do <laughs> not want to go. And after inviting her, well, it was several times, um, it was getting closer to Easter and I invited her again and she agreed to go. Chad was giving a sermon about how Christ allowed Thomas to doubt for eight days with his resurrection. And what I heard Christ saying to me was, Claire, I've just allowed you to doubt for 25 years. And he just said, you are forgiven. I love you. In my time, there is no time. One day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And I truly felt that in my heart that Christ had totally forgiven me and I was a new person. I was so excited in coming to know Christ and the life group kept coming up. You know, the different ministers would talk on Sundays about life groups, life groups, life groups, that it's really important that you get in one. And, and so this was a big step for me to go to somebody's house and ring the doorbell and Joan greeted me and hi, and she's so bubbly and, I remember really well the first day that you came to our life group, Claire, and um, you were so nervous about coming in, and um, you shared your story so willingly with everyone, and uh, there were a lot of tears, and um, we always had plenty of Kleenex, and we've been through thick and thin together, we've been in the emergency rooms together, we've been praying over our children. They have become the foundation of my life in every aspect of it. I was attending CBC for a while and decided that I'd look into maybe joining the church, so I went to one of the classes that was offered after my church service. One of the, the uh, pastors started talking about baptism and how important it was and that you didn't have to be baptized, but that it was really something that was important to do. I said, there is no way that I am ever gonna be baptized. And I wanted to get up out of that class and leave right then and there. Then I would go to my life group and every once in a while somebody would talk about baptism. 
passages would come up about uh, baptism and I'd listen to it. And then when they said again, for some reason it went into my head that it's an obedience to Christ to be baptized. If I really wanted to be um, a follower of Christ, it was important that I be obedient to him. And eventually God just turned my heart. In August, I was baptized. I was so excited that day because most of the gals from my life group were there cheering me on and screaming and yelling for me. And it was the most joyous day of my life. But most of all, I heard God's voice saying, you are an obedient child of mine, and I'm so proud of you. Jesus, I am so glad that you are my, that you call me your beloved, and that I will always be your beloved, and that you will always forgive me, and always be with me in all times, good times and bad times. You will always be there with me, caring me, and always forgiving me, and always loving me, no matter what. How about that story? Yeah, isn't that good? Wow. And, and Claire's sitting right over there. Hi, Claire. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story with us. And what I love, I love a lot of things about that story. I love when she came up out of the water. I love that clapping, you know. Uh, I love that she echoed the whole beloved child issue. That was amazing. Uh, I love the sacrifice that you see that Linda made reaching out to a neighbor risking rejection <laughs> uh continuing to invite to church even when uh claire said no <laughs> i love the sacrifice that joan made to be a life group leader to open up her heart to open up her home and to reach out there's just so many things. I, I love the fact that Chad was in a suit on Easter Sunday that year. That was cool, too. Um, so many things about that story I, I just love. See, people sacrificed and had an impact on Claire's life. And now Claire is a life that's been changed. She has new life in Christ. She is safe eternally because some other people sacrificed for her. I just wonder how many other Claire's are out there in Northeast Ohio. See, Unleash is really about us extending our reach in Northeast Ohio so that more and more people like Claire can come to know Christ. So I want to give over and above my regular gifts because someday I want to be standing next, I want to be standing in heaven next to Claire <laughs> and next to somebody like Claire who might say, thank you. Well, thanks for what? Thanks for sacrificing. Thanks for being a part of church that sacrificed. You know, because um, a neighbor reached out to me and said, let's take a walk. And we did. And that neighbor invited me to a church. Uh, I never would have come to Broadview Heights. But I went to that campus. And there, for the first time in my life, I heard the story about Jesus in a way that made sense to me. And I'm a life that's changed. So thank you for sacrificing. I mean, I want those kinds of conversations to take place in heaven. To me, that's part of the joy of heaven. It's being with Christ and being with those that Christ has redeemed 
forever and ever. So you know what? We don't run. We don't sleep. We don't hide. Instead, we sacrifice so others can be safe. And that's what Unleash is about, and that's why we all need to be all in. There are more clairs to reach. So we got to do more. we got to be more. we got to give more in order to do that. I'm so glad that 31 years ago, my wife, Mary Ann, didn't settle for happiness in Alabama. Instead, she said yes to God, yes to sacrifice, and she's found the joy instead. So don't settle for happiness. Go for joy. Go for joy. Um, an old song says it this way. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings, the gladness, the news all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward, tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That's what we're about, right? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And we're going to follow him. We're going to follow him. We're not going to sleep. We're not going to run. We're not going to hide. We're going to sacrifice so others can be safe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be here, to hear Claire's story. Thank you for Linda. Thank you for Joan. Thank you for many others that have invested in her life. Lord, bless her. May she have every experience, every relationship, every practice that she needs to be great for God. And Lord, there are others like Claire here in this room and others yet to be reached. So we ask you, God, uh, to, to help our efforts uh, to do more and be more for Christ so that others can be safe. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.